Mark up to share the word. Let's give him a round of applause. Amen. Okay. Do you guys know that we're in our summer series? Because it's finally summer. And we're doing the life of Jesus. So this is number two in the life of Jesus. Last week, we started with the genealogies. Can you believe it? We actually taught a sermon on the genealogies of Jesus, and it was really interesting. It was. So now we're going to look at the second one. Online community, uh, you're welcome. I'm glad you're here. I just got a text. I just got a text from somebody uh, saying, that communion thing you did was really good. <laughs> and I said, why aren't you here? <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm just being a jerk. All right, let's, let's look at the second vignette in Jesus' life. This is hard to look at because there's nothing there. You, do you get it? Okay, look, we've got the story of his birth, and then he goes to Egypt, and how many years pass before the next recorded event in Jesus' life? No more. He was about three in Egypt, and now he's about 12. So if my math is correct, that's nine years. There's nine empty years. Nothing. Nothing is said about him. Well, there's something said about him, but there's no story attached. Luke 2.52 says this. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is from the age, from 3 till 12, there's nothing said. Then from 12 till 30, there's nothing said. So there's this big chunk of his life. What, there's nothing to say? And it's summed up in, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This gets me to thinking, what were his younger years like? What was he like? Here's the thing that always puzzled me. When did he figure out he was the Messiah? You know? When, when did it... See, we, what, the problem we have in studying Jesus, and I said this last week, and I'm going to say it over and over and over again because we fall into the same problem every time. We get so focused on his divinity that we miss his humanity. And by missing his humanity, we miss much of what he has to say to us as humans. So, when did he figure out, wow, I think I'm the Messiah. Wait a minute. No, I am the Messiah. As a three-year-old, and he's beginning to talk, were his first words, hmm, I'm the incarnational fulfillment of the Logos of God, the atonement and propitiation for fallen man, the justification and sanctification for and from original sin, the eschatological summation of history and time. Please pass the unleavened bread. Do you suppose those were his first words? No, it can't be, because he's fully human. This means that being fully human, he's going to go through the developmental changes and, and, and uh, periods of human development. He's going to grow in wisdom with God and man. He's going to become an adult. But he's going to do it in a way that is similar to how we do it because he's a human being. Are you with me? So, little baby, we know some things about him. We get it when he starts his ministry at 30, but there's an event that happens when he's 12 years old. It's the only event in that entire period of time which has been recorded in the Bible. So it's really, really important. Now, he went through every stage of development. We go through the differences. He did it without sin. But he still had to go through these developmental stages. He was sinless. He was childlike without being childish. 
Although he was sinless, he was also completely human. Going through all the developmental stages people must go through to grow up. And now we're going to look at one of those. But before we look at the specifics of this situation, I want to look at this developmentally in the life of people. The psychologists refer to this as a period of individuation, individualization. The point at which you begin to see yourself and define yourself as an adult. You begin to define yourself differently. You're not a child anymore. See, in, in, in the younger years, you're a child. You're relating to life as a child, mother and father. But there comes a time when you have to make a shift. You have to begin to see yourself as a separate and distinct adult and be welcomed into the world of adulthood. Am I making sense? And, and it's a difficult period. It's the teenage years. It's awkward. It's, it's not easy. The child begins life in the mother. The pregnancy. The child is birthed from the mother. Life comes from mother. And after birth, life continues to come from the mother. There's a process of breastfeeding. Then there's weaning from that. But the mother is still the center of the child's world. Is this making sense? Absolutely the center of the child's worth. Father is in the picture, but he is nowhere near as significant as mother. And that's not a diss against fathers. That's just the way it is. Life came from the mother. The mother nurtures. The mother's there. The mother feeds. The mother cares. And this is a great intimacy that develops between the child and mother. There's a great bond it's a greater bond than p- between the child and father. Do you see that? Am I off base here? I don't think so. And this goes on, this, this connection between mother and child goes on until, until puberty and adolescence. This is when the child begins to develop her own or his own unique identity and sexuality. The core of your personality, the core of your being is tied up in your gender. To be an adult is to be a man. To be an adult is to be a grown woman. Your gender is one of the most defining things in your entire identity, if not the most defining thing in your identity. Is this making sense? And this is the process in in, in individuation where she must begin to see herself as a woman, presenting herself to the world as a full-grown woman, and he must see himself as a man, presenting himself to the world as a fully developed man. Now, how does that process take place? What are the key, what are the key elements in this shift, this change? They're no longer just son or daughter, but man and woman. And this stage involves moving away from the mother in order to establish a whole and independent personality. See, mother was the source of everything. Now mother's the problem. Well, I'm I'm not trying... I'm not dissing women. I'm just telling you that when the whole child's identity has been caught up in mom and it's time to become an independent self, an independent person, an adult... There's a tie that has to be broken in order for that development to take place, both for the boy and the girl. So mother, who's been the source of everything, is the one that the child must push away from. Now, does this, does this explain, mothers, some of your children? Are you beginning to see, yeah, they, they, they went through that, or yes, they're going through that, or yes, they're going to go through that? But here's the problem. And it's now mother's problem. She has been everything to this child. They have had this incredible relationship. And now for the child to become that adult they're supposed to, the child has to rebel, in a sense. Push away from. Establish a little more distance. And this is the hardest thing in the world for mother to do. Because it's altering her identity as well. 
her, 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 her reason for being has been the children, this child. And now this child is pushing away. And she may know, mother may know in her mind, this is a necessary thing. I've read some psychological books. I know that this is great. This is really good. And I hate every minute of it. And it's super hard for me to let her go. It's very difficult for mother to facilitate this separation because her identity is tied to the child as mother. The voice, now this is important, the voice that calls the child away from mother and blesses the child in his or her own identity and sexuality is the father's voice. This is when the father becomes critical. He is the one that can call the the, the boy or girl child away from mother and present them to the world as this is my adult son. This is my adult daughter. Now, has this process been ritualized in the world? Bar mitzvah? Bat mitzvah? Consentiere? It, it exists all over the world in different cultures all over the world. There's a very interesting culture, I believe, when I did the research, I think it's in the South Seas, but it's a very, very interesting thing that they do. In that culture, even in families, even in families, they don't live in family units. There's a dormitory a building, hut, for the women, and there's one for the men throughout their entire lives. The, 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 the children live in the hut with the women and the mother until they reach puberty. Then the most interesting ritual takes place. The men who live in the men's hut come at night and stand outside the women's hut and start yelling, send him out, send Mark out. He needs to be with the men, send him out. And the women go through this thing where they say no. And they say no, we will not send her or him out. And the men start chanting and, and, and yelling and screaming, Get, send him out, send him out. And this passion takes place and it's all scripted. Like they've been doing this since they were little. And the women say, no, no, you can't have him. No, no, you can't have him. And the men keep saying, send him out, send him out, send her out. And, and, they, and the door opens and they go through this struggle. And then the men take the boy and welcome him into manhood. And he's now going to live with the men. Or the girl is ushered out and she's going to go back. But she goes back as an adult, not as a child. Isn't that interesting? All these cultures over the years have had a way of calling the child away from mother to become the adult. When this doesn't happen, we see adults, quote-unquote, who are stuck in the early stages of adolescence, insecure, self-focused, narcissistic, not knowing who they really are, and unaffirmed as adult men and women. Hello? Get it? Do we have a problem in our society? Do we have a problem in our culture? Now look at this is what's so cool. This important stage of development is reflected in the fact that the only stage of human development that we have in Jesus' life is that incident at the temple at 12 years of age. God knew what he was doing when he wrote the history of Jesus. So let's look at it because we're going to break it down. And what we're going to see in this incident is exactly the stage of human development. It's, it's, it's incredible. Luke 2.41 Every year, and you all know this, but let's read it together. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. 
And after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, they always traveled in, fa- in large extended family units and in communities. So if a small town went for Passover, they'd all go together. So it wasn't, we think this is terrible parenting that they lost them. But when you're traveling in a group that you feel safe in and, and your kids has always hung around with the other kids and he's never been a behavioral problem before, he is sinless. So you can trust him with the people. You can figure he'll be okay. We'll see him at dinner time. But dinner time comes and goes and he's not there. After the feast was over, where they were turning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it, thinking he was in their company. They traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him amongst their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, can you imagine Mary? What she's feeling right now? I mean, this is, this is ser- Have you ever lost a kid at the beach or something, even for five minutes? It's terrifying. I mean, it's absolutely terrifying. And she can't find him, and he's been gone all day. They went back to Jerusalem to look for him after three days. Hello? They've been looking for him in Jerusalem for three days. Three sleepless nights. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, but something more than astonished. Astonished, yes. Hurt, angry, what what the Jerusalem have you been doing? Son, Now, who says this? Son. Who says this? Mother. Mother. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you for three days. And (laughs) why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? What's happening here for Jesus? He's being called away from his mother. And she's the one that's upset about it. And she doesn't really, she doesn't get it fully what's going on here. She'll reflect on it later and figure it out. But she doesn't get it. To her, it's just inexplicable behavior. And to him, whose voice is he responding to? Responding to the Father's voice. And it must happen for him. At the age of 12, coming into his adolescence, this is the age when a Jewish boy is inducted into manhood. And we see him making the move away from his mother and father, but mostly from his mother, because she's the one that's upset. It's she who chews him out about this. And the answer he gives is all important. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He is being called into manhood and sonship by his heavenly father the most effective father's voice that he can possibly hear. We're going to get to this particular application in a few minutes, but if you're sitting here today and you have not heard the father's voice calling you and blessing you into your adult sexuality, your manhood, your womanhood, if you have not heard that, you need to hear that and he is available to do that and he wants to do that because it's the father's voice that blesses you into your truest identity your manhood your womanhood he's the one that affirms your gender he's the one that tells you who you really are and until that happens in some way, either with natural father or with father God, until that happens, you will find yourself reverting to that adolescent stage of insecurities, narcissism, uncertainties. And that's no way to live as an adult. It's no way to live as a teenager, and it's no way to live as an adult. He's not the son of Mary anymore. He's the son of God. 
Now this is interesting. Because the next incident we see in the life of Jesus is when his ministry begins and he's in his baptism. John was preaching a baptism of repentance. What the heck was Jesus repenting of? Nothing. So why did he choose to be baptized? It's, he, does, he doesn't have anything to repent of. Why is, he, why is he doing this with John? Well, he said to fulfill all righteousness. He was, I think, he was identifying with us when he went to be baptized. He was making an example of himself to say, all righteousness requires that I identify with you this thoroughly and completely, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to be baptized. And he does it with his cousin John. It's an act of identification with the people he came to save, and it's an act of humility before his heavenly Father. As he's coming out of the water, what happens? As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. Boy, if you want the Father's affirmation, I think you just got it. And a voice from heaven, oh boy, said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. just a slight little tangent for a moment. This affirmation uh, coming from the Father came before Jesus did anything in ministry. This affirmation came before he could possibly earn it. Do you understand that this is grace? This is the approval and the love of the Father given before you have any right to demand it. It was not earned. It was his father's gift. The father affirmed Jesus as his son before Jesus did anything for him. What percentage of your obedience to God is being given to earn his love? And what percentage is just a thank you for the way he loves you? Think about it for a minute. How much of what I do for him is to get his approval? And how much of I, am I doing for him because I already have his approval? I'm just saying thank you. Is the Bible a book of things and rules in order to earn God's love, or is it a thank you manual? If you want to say thank you, here's ways you can do it. If you want to earn it, please don't. That's the Father talking. Don't ruin my gift by turning it into a transaction. It's on a tangent, but it's important. For Jesus, this is the final stage in equipping for his work. He must have his Father's love to do his Father's work of love. He must know the empowering, the empowering of being loved by his Father without conditions so that he can go out and love others without conditions. You can't give away what you haven't received. If you're going to give away unconditional love to people, you have to have received it. Otherwise, you're incapable of giving that. It'll always be conditional. Hello? He must know his identity in his Father God as a well-loved child before he knows the work of being his father's servant. Otherwise, he'll just be earning it. As he grew up, he had to know his own person apart from the expectations of his mother and father. This happened at the age of 12. When he was affirmed as a man, the bonds of childhood were broken. 
Okay, there's two issues this raises for us, and they're really important. The first has to do with how we parent our children. As your sons and daughters move into adulthood, they have to individuate. It's an inevitable process. You must, you must recognize it and encourage it and play your role in it. And it's dad's role to affirm them in their new identity as man or woman. And when it doesn't happen, we have a problem. You know, other than... I, I was just thinking that all over the world we have these rituals. We have these ways that children are presented as adults and blessed into their adulthood. What do we have in America? We have debutantes balls in the South. We don't, what, do we do, what do we have for men? If you're part of a, 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 an ethnic group that has those, like, like Jewish, you know, Hispanic, then you're going to have some rites of passage. But for a lot, of us, a lot of us, I never had a rite of passage. That never happened for me. And I struggled because of it for a long, long time. You know how it happened for me? It's the most amazing thing. I was visiting my father. He lived in Vancouver and I lived in Calgary. And um, he wasn't an easy person to have as a father, believe me. And we were there and um, he said, come on out into the backyard in the patio. There's something I want to talk to you about. And I thought, oh, great. What have I done now? So we went out there, and he said, I need to explain the situation to you. And he started to talk about something had gone wrong in the church that he was in and how it was affecting his relationships and everything. And he finished the story, and he said, I want your opinion. What do you think? What should I do? was absolutely flabbergasted. What? We've never done this before. He wasn't the pastor, right? No. He was one of the elders. Um, and he laid it all out, and I just thought about it, and I analyzed it, and I said, you got screwed. <laughs> I used a more colorful phrase. You got screwed. Uh, this is what happened, and the, here's your options. These are the things you have available to you to do. And he really listened. And we talked about it, and he said, thank you. And I got up to go to the kitchen to, to get a drink. And as I reached out and took hold of the door, as soon as I touched the door, my body just stopped. And this revelation came. You're no longer his child you're his friend. He trusts you. He listens to you. That was it. I knew our relationship's different from now on. I'm different from now on. But gosh, I wish I'd had that rite of passage thing sooner. Because I was 26 when that happened. I wish I'd had it when I was 14 or 13 or something. Would have made a big difference. Maybe I wouldn't have done so many stupid, destructive things. No, I would have. <laughs> I'll cop to it. I was a difficult child. So how do we raise our kids? We don't have clear, understood rite of passage for children. We need them. Boys need to be welcomed into the world as men and women as women. Can you find a way? I mean, some of you, it's your your. You guys are in the right stage. Your kids are just approaching this. Amor and Adrena. Your, your kids, you're in, you're like, this is good, like, and David and, and, and Andy, you know, like, you guys are at the stage where you should be thinking strategically about this. How can you do it? I, I heard of one guy, and uh, he had daughters, a bunch of them, 
And how am I going to how am I going to affirm their womanhood and everything else? And he came up with this idea. As soon as she has her first period, I'm taking her out to dinner. She's going to dress all up as a woman and we're going to go out someplace and I'm presenting her to the world as my daughter, as a woman. Finding these interesting ways of affirming someone in their adulthood. Doesn't it sound good for the boys and the girls? Now the second, that's the first issue, is how do we parent our kids? Now here's the one I want to focus on for right now. And this is a deep issue for each one of us. Have you been blessed by the Father's voice into adulthood? Have you heard him tell you, you are my son or daughter whom I love, with you I am well pleased? If you haven't, you need to hear it. And that means you go to him and you say, because you have every right to insist on this because it's his will. You're not talking him into something he doesn't want to do. You're saying, it's time for me, Lord, I need this. You go to him and you say, Father, I need you to affirm me in my womanhood. I need you to tell me that I'm beautiful. I need you to tell me that I'm smart, that I'm capable that I can be a successful mother, that I can be a successful adult, that I can raise successful children. I need your blessing. And you've got to give it to me because I haven't got it. And listen, some of us are waiting for our father to tell us that, our earthly father to tell us that, and he's never going to. Some are incapable of it. They're just incapable. They're so broken they can't do it for somebody else. Or they've died. And you don't have them available to do it. But your heart is still yearning. I need that affirmation. God will step in and father you. Do you know why my wife became a Christian? She was adopted. And it was very difficult. And she didn't have that kind of blessing. And a friend invited her to a Bible study. And they were studying something from the Old Testament. And the verse said... God was speaking through his prophet, I will be a father to the fatherless. And she read that and it just hit her, I'm fatherless. I need that. So she went to them and said, I want that thing in the Bible, father to the fatherless. I want that for me. So they led her to the Lord. And that verse has remained her identity. That verse has remained her identity all these years and she keeps coming back. He will be a father to the fatherless. Because she needed it. Hmm? Yeah, please. Here. A little louder. A little louder? You... All right. So they can really hear you. <laughs> uh, I grew up in a divorced house. Um, and you know, right around my teenage years, 14, 15, 16, um, that was when kind of my dad wasn't as present, you know. Um, all was well now, obviously. But uh, around that time, I felt very rejected Praise God I was in the church, and praise God that I had spiritual fathers, but I still wanted that affirmation from, from my father. I still wanted that affirmation from my father at that time, and, and, you know, my mother was dealing with that divorce stuff and, you know, rejection on her own, so her focus was more on that. Um, so I felt somewhat alone, and I remember specifically and it's so great that Mark is saying father to the fatherless because I remember sitting in my room alone and feeling what I was feeling. And then I said, you know what, Father? You are the father to the fatherless. And then from that moment on, like almost weekly, and I would almost argue daily what it felt like, the presence of God would rest upon me in my room. Because I needed the Father's presence. 
and I needed, I needed him to be there for me, and he was. And it was so evident, so, so powerful uh, a statement where it's like, oh, I don't feel God's presence. I'm like, I, I feel it almost all the time because he knew what I needed, right? Um, and I'll add one more thing. I don't want to take any more airtime, but I'll add one more thing. Um, when I sought reconciliation for hearing my dad's side of the story of the divorce and all that kind of stuff, he told me and he shared all the trauma that had happened in his life. And this rite of passage thing is what it felt like, where I was driving and he was sitting in the passenger seat and we were asking questions and, questions and engaging in conversation. As I'm hearing all this, all that unforgiveness that I had and bitterness that I had towards my dad, it wasn't there anymore. And I remember him looking over at me and was like, do you forgive me? And I searched my heart. And I'm like, there's nothing to forgive. I really genuinely meant that when I said it. I'm like, I'm searching for some way to be bitter at you for the abandonment that I felt. But it wasn't there. Because he was there periodically, you know, in the best way that he could. But not in the way that I was looking for as a teenager. And in that moment, I felt like that was that rite of passage where I got my father's validation as a son. And when I forgave my earthly father, he, that rite of passage was taking place. We're no longer father, son, but friends, like as you say. So the forgiveness was a huge part of that rite of passage into sonship. So, Right on. Okay, so... Jesus, who is perfect, needed this to happen. We, who are imperfect, really need this to happen. It's essential to our identity. Are you still trying to receive the approval of your mother or father, which they didn't give? Self-worth ultimately comes because we've heard the author of all fatherhood affirm our identities as men and women of God. And he's waiting to say it to you. So I think we should give him a chance to do that. Here's, here's my hesitance. So we give him a chance to do it, which I think is the right thing to do, because we're here in his presence. Shouldn't we expect it? And for some of you, he'll do that this morning. But for others, it won't happen here. And, of course, the devil's really busy with all this and says, well, you see, you tried. You opened yourself to the affirmation of the Father, and it didn't happen, so you're such, a, you're such a monumental loser. You're the one person in the universe that really doesn't deserve any affirmation, so just go and continue being insecure. And you'll buy that lie because it didn't happen here at church. It didn't happen at church for me. It happened in that patio in Vancouver in warm sunny summer afternoon in a moment for others it happens at home like it happened like with Josh and he's just there with his father his father God and God begins to love him that way and affirm it the methodology God uses is as unique as you are there's no we, we need those rituals but we need the encounter with God even more than we need the rituals so I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to do that this morning and to begin witnessing that fatherly approval. But if it doesn't happen this morning or it's only partial, don't quit asking. Get alone with him and say, No, Father, I need this. Jesus died so I could have this. I need it. So tell me one more time that I'm your well-loved child and you're pleased with me. And then the devil will give you a long list of all the reasons why God shouldn't be pleased with you. But just remember this. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus on the cross. He doesn't look at you in the present moment. He looks at who you're going to be, his finished product, and he sees you through this absurd, unconditional love that Jesus did for you. 
So your weaknesses don't disqualify you from receiving his love. They qualify you. It just means you need it. And you're smart enough to ask for it. Affirm my identity as a man or as a woman of God. Just do that, Father, because I need it and I can't go on without it. And whatever way he comes to you, in whatever place or time, don't stop asking for it until it happens. Okay? And be patient with yourself. Be patient with him. But don't stop asking for this because it's absolutely essential. It's your heritage. It's... Well, if people will just keep interrupting my message, then... Well, here's another guy who really needs to hear it from the Father. Now take your time. The Lord wants this as much as we want it. And I can speak to this as a father. It's part of what I was saying the other day when I taught on Father's Day. Try that now. When I when I uh, was teaching on Father's Day, the father craves that from the child. Father wants that relationship with the child. And the, our Father wants that relationship. That's why He gave us Jesus in the beginning. He wants that relationship. So we don't have to beg Him for the relationship. He wants the relationship. But we will pursue Him. Yeah. Good point. Guys, honestly, this is not an exaggeration. Your enemy wants this not to happen more than anything. Because this is the key thing. This is what sends you into a life of confidence for God. Not under the law, but under mercy and grace. Able to give pretty much unconditional love most of the time. The devil does not want you to have this. It ruins everything for him. It makes you almost impossible to mess up. So it's going to be opposed. There's particularly through lies. I don't deserve that. No, you don't. Thank God it's not a matter of what you deserve. You know that if life was just and we all got what we deserved, we'd all be dead. We, thank God his system doesn't work that way. So don't buy into the lie when the enemy's trying to talk you out of something. Just keep pursuing. And you know what? You can have this experience more than once. You can be reminded, well, over and over you can be reminded of the Father's love for you, which you need to be reminded of because your own stupidity talks you out of it. Half the time we do the devil's work for him. By dissing ourselves so regularly, we begin to believe the nonsense we're talking about how worthless we are. I remember I was leading worship up in Canada in this Sunday night. We had these Sunday nights teaching events that were really intense in the presence of God. And as I'm, you know how you have two parts of your brain. There's the part that's doing what you're doing and there's parts watching and commenting on what you're doing while you're doing it. And I'm like singing these great worship songs and inside it's like, I have no right to sing these worship songs. I'm a complete jerk. I can't control my temper. You know, I'm a blah. And it's just all this garbage is running and running and running on me. Well, the smile, praise the Lord, where are we? You're in the presence of God. Isn't it great? And I'm just tormented inside. And the panic, the dissonance got so powerful, I had this overwhelming fear. I just want to drop my guitar and run from the room. And I almost did. That's how intense the spiritual warfare was with the lies coming against me, trying to take me out. And finally it dawned on me, singing along, you know, finally dawned on the part that was watching, wait a minute, everything the devil's saying about me is true. I am a complete loser. And then the moment. But Jesus 
chose to use me and let me do this anyway. And I said to the enemy, this is your problem. I said, you don't like that Jesus chose me. And you don't like that he lets me do this, even though I don't deserve it. Go talk to him. I said, go talk to him. I said, I said something nasty about to him, like perhaps he should. And I said, your problem isn't with me. Your problem's with him. He's the one that chose me. He's the one that lets me do this. I agree with you. I have no right. I'm pathetic. But he's your problem. Go talk to him. And that was at the end of it. And bang, I break through into the presence of God. And the worship went on for like 50 minutes. And people came to me afterwards and said, why did you go on so long? I said, because it took me over half an hour to get into the presence of God. I said, once I was there, I didn't want to just quit. I had to have a little worship for me. Okay. Our leader's an idiot. And he is. But he's God's idiot. So when the enemy harasses you, it's... Not your problem, it's his problem because Jesus has chosen you and let you do it and he loves you. It's irrational and crazy that he does, but he does. So just accept it and tell the enemy where his problem is and he can just go in peace. Go away. Shut up. You have no right to say what you're saying to me. Your problem is with the Lord. So let's all close our eyes and see what the Spirit wants to do with this affirmation that we so desperately need. Just close your eyes. Holy Spirit, you're amazing because you know each of us pretty much perfectly and you know what we need to hear and you know what to say and you know what to touch us with in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and affirm us as man or woman of God. Affirm us in that, Lord. Speak the words we need to hear, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, but just, just please do it, Lord. Please do it, Holy Spirit. Just open your hearts and open your mind to hear his thoughts and maybe even feel his emotions about how he feels about you. Whatever he wants to do, just, just give him permission. Just welcome him to do it.
You are perfect. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us, you are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways, Lord. You are perfect in all of your ways. To us, good, good Father, you're a good, good Father. To you are. Who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. If you heard him speak something to you or you sensed his touch, write it down. Write down what he said or what happened. Put it somewhere where you can return to it in your prayers. You can revisit that moment and what he said. Let him reinforce it. Let him say it again. So we don't want you to leave here without getting prayer. If there's anything at all, any issue you need prayer for, please come forward and prayer team, come forward and we're going to pray for you in expectancy that God's going to speak and and touch you with His love. So prayer team, come on up. So if you need prayer, come and if you don't, go enjoy the Father. so much for for joining us online too we we appreciate you spending time with us today if you don't need prayer just have a blessed week have a great fourth of july celebration we look forward to seeing you next week god bless you guys